Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Glory be to Jesus Christ. I greet you on this Sunday of the publican and the Pharisee, the first week of what is called the Triodian, blessed time of year. This is the 26th sermon in the series of homilies on the divine liturgy of the Holy Orthodox Church. 26 sermons that we have not even gotten to the liturgy itself. The purpose of this long introduction and study, as we have looked in detail at the book of Exodus, the description of everything that was done to prepare a dwelling place for God in the midst of the nation of Israel, the purpose has been to show how the Orthodox Church is the continuation of the work that God was doing on earth. Through these various forms. To communicate to Israel who he is and who they were because of him. And to eventually fulfill and fill up all these forms with Jesus Christ. He would be the fulfillment of all that was foreshadowed. So today we come to the end of the book of Exodus. Chapters 39 and 40. Very beautiful, detailed account of how all that had been put together, the curtains, the fixtures, the posts, the uh, hardware, so to speak, had all been built and fashioned by artisans and craftsmen, made from the gifts brought by the people, the gold, the silver that was melted down and cast into various forms, the uh, curtains that were woven and, and uh, dyed and, and made to be beautiful. All these things brought together, brought to this place, and brought to Moses. And he looks over at all of it. He examines it, makes sure everything is right. And then the fun begins. He gets to put it all together. Imagine, I've meant, made reference to the, to the uh, similarity with the Legos. You know how, if you're, a, if you're a kid on Christmas morning, you get this big box, big shiny, colorful box with all these, it says Lego on it, and it's got a beautiful picture of what, what you can build with it, and you just can't wait to open it up and start getting all the pieces out and putting it together. I don't know if Moses felt that way or not, but he, he probably did. He probably was so excited to, to see what all the pieces here, and he had already seen it in heaven. God had revealed it to him, and he had given him very detailed verbal instructions. So he, 
visually he showed him and orally he spoke to him upon the mountain and told him everything that was to be done, how it was to be done. Now here it was, done. And so he and the artisans, the people, began to put it together. This tent temple. It must have been a very beautiful experience. So after they had it all put together, they brought in Aaron and his sons and the priests, and they washed them, anointed them, they clothed them in special garments. We haven't even talked about that much. Very special garments, especially for the high priest. All this stuff outfitted on. He had this beautiful breastplate on the front with 12 large Pieces of stone, 12 different types of stone. And you can, you can read in the book of Exodus the name of each stone. And each one represented one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So he had all this stuff on him that all meant something. And so they got all decked out, he and his, and his sons and the, those who would serve as priests. And they, everything was put together and they came in. And then the most important thing happened. God came down in the form of a cloud and rested over the holy place, the most holy of holies, the Ark of the Covenant. What a disappointment it would have been if they'd done all this and then nothing happened. Just a big bunch of a tent out in the middle of, the no, of nowhere with no life. And yet God kept his promise. He came down and rested. They could see him in this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And they knew that as long as that pillar stayed there, that's where they were supposed to be. But if it moved... They had to go wherever it moved. It's a beautiful picture of following God, knowing God, walking with God, journeying with God, perhaps wandering with God. It's a beautiful picture also of the incarnation. Indeed, the Feast of the Annunciation, which we'll be celebrating in March. This event is a picture of the Annunciation. The tabernacle is Mary, the mother of God. She has been prepared by God very carefully, not just randomly chosen out of the crowd, just a common person who really hadn't given much thought to spiritual things. No, he prepared her in detail just as Moses prepared this this tabernacle. She is going to be the tabernacle in which God would dwell, upon which the Holy Spirit would descend as the cloud descended from heaven to rest upon the ark. 
The tabernacle is Mary, the mother of God. The cloud is the Holy Trinity. According to the Orthodox Study Bible, when God the Word was conceived in her womb, the Holy Spirit came upon her, and the power of the Most High overshadowed her. The power was the Son of God. The Most High was the Father. And the Holy Spirit came upon her. The Son became incarnate, but all three persons were actively involved. So now that all this has been talked about and described and has come to completion, I want to return us to that theme which we discussed several times before the study of the tabernacle. And that is the understanding that everything that God was doing here was for the purpose of solving a problem, fixing something. That is the problem of sin. The problem of sin. The first few lessons that we had, we talked about how God, step by step, was introducing this concept of animal sacrifice. First to, to Abel, and, and, and then to Noah, and then so on, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This concept that there is, there is a price to be paid for sin. Sin is deadly. It has to be paid for by blood. And all this is for the purpose of fixing this problem. The temple is being set up for the shedding of blood. The sprinkling of blood in various places. The offering of burnt offerings of animals. So Exodus chapters 25 through 40 concerning the tabernacle have one primary purpose, and that is to provide a place for animal blood to be shed and sacrifice to be offered for the sins of the people of Israel. Now, does God need all this stuff? Does he need olive oil to be burnt complete, uh, continually for him? Does he need incense to be burned perpetually for him? Does he need the blood of animals to be sprinkled upon the mercy seat for him? Twelve loaves of bread to be perpetually resting on the table of showbread for him? No. God does not need any of that. It is all for us. To help us deal with the problem of sin. God desires communion with us and he used this rudimentary physical structure and system of worship to provide a way for man to find his way back to God. And to ultimately prepare humanity to receive the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world the eternal Son of the Father, the Word of God, only begotten from the Father before all ages, the light of light, true God of true God. The Ark of the Covenant, which is at the very heart of this structure, the most holy thing in it, contains within it three items. The jar of manna, 
the Ten Commandments of Stone, and the Rod of Aaron. All of these are a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ and his most holy mother. Jesus Christ is the lawgiver. Jesus Christ is the bread which comes down from heaven. Mary is the earthen jar containing the divine bread. And she is the rod of Aaron, miraculously budding forth a human being without the seed of man. All to deal with the problem of sin and to heal mankind of the consequences of the fall. So seeing all that God has done for us through this and how he has fulfilled all this in this temple, this church which we have built and offered to God, upon which his presence rests on the holy altar, how do we approach this wonderful gift? How do we respond to a gift so magnificently and meticulously prepared by him in the Old Testament down through the centuries? Well, today's theme of the publican and the Pharisee, which ushers us into the season of the Triodian, answers this question for us. The pattern of the Orthodox Christian life is humility and struggle. Without the posture and example of the publican, it is impossible for us to be saved. In conclusion, let us look at the lives of two great sinners, one famous and one infamous. We all know the stories of Judas and Peter, how they both betrayed the Lord, Judas, though favored by God to be one of the twelve, lived a sinful life. We know from the Holy Scripture and the Gospels that he often would steal from the money bag the common purse of the apostles. This was a habit. And he also engaged in drunkenness. You know, Judas didn't just wake up one day and decide, oh, I'm going to betray the Lord. No, he, he lived a sinful life. He had passions which he didn't deal with. And he kept doing it over and over. This is very dangerous for all of us. If we don't deal with our passions through confession, and through struggle, they can, they can beat us down and they can make us incapable of loving God. Judas prepared his life for that moment by his sinfulness. Peter, on the other hand, impetuously exerted himself as the leader of the apostles sometimes rising to the occasion and other times failing miserably. Peter was not without his own struggles and passions. Anger, pride, fear of men, 
We see how he struggled with these things even after the Lord's resurrection he struggled. But he kept in the struggle. In the end, both Peter and Judas were confronted by their extreme sinfulness and had to make a decision about what they would do with it and what they would do with the person of Jesus Christ. Judas regretted his sin. We see a very tragic ending to his life when he realized it came shattering down upon him what he had done, what was happening to Jesus. He repented, he regretted it, but he was not able to repent. He was not able to produce repentance that produces joy, but his repentance led to sorrow. And he gave up. He could not humble himself to ask God for forgiveness and to get into the struggle of trying to be a true Christian. Peter, on the other hand, wept bitterly. He also was in despair, but he waited for the resurrection. There was a spark of goodness within him that had not been beaten down by sin and the passions. And he hoped in the forgiveness of God. And he was not disappointed. Both of these men resembled the publican in their remorse. But only one emerged victorious over sin through faith in Jesus Christ. The repentance of Peter represents to us the narrow way of Orthodox Christianity. Humility and repentance that lead not to despondency and death, but to joy and eternal life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, glory be to Jesus Christ. Glory.